You think about Charlie, you think of all the hits that Charlie had with the Gap Band. And then I was thinking last night on the eve of his star today on the Walk of Fame, Hollywood Walk of Fame, think about all the solo hits that Charlie's had. It's rare to have that many hits in a group and then step out and have just as many hits solo. And he's still going strong. And I love the lyrics to that song. If you know anything about Charlie's history, most of you do. Uh, Charlie had a drug problem for many, many, many years. And uh, he is blessed to still be alive. Blessed to still have his voice. I mean, everything to the highest register of his voice. Charlie still has it. Uh, he has been blessed beyond measure. And he's blessed today to receive his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Congratulations once again to Charlie Wilson. So we're weaving in some Charlie music here and there as we celebrate Charlie Wilson today getting his star finally on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. What a great conversation with former Governor uh, Dick Celeste of Ohio uh, about what he did as governor to commute uh, death row inmates' sentences. We'll talk more about that uh, given all the big news of the last few days about Kenneth Smith put to death in Alabama. Uh, but with nitrogen gas, we suffocated this brother to death. What is happening uh, in America? Uh, now, though, a conversation about the ways in which these massive media layoffs are disproportionately affecting journalists of color. And it's not just the Los Angeles Times, although it pains me to see what's going on there, of course. Uh, but you know the old adage, last hired, first fired, people of color, that is. We'll talk now uh, about it uh, with H Hannah uh, Tamiz, writer and editor currently working for the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard University. Hannah, good to have you on the program. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Travis. It's good to have you on this program. Let me start with a couple of broad questions and we'll narrow as we move through the time that we do have here. Um, these layoffs, uh, this downsizing, pink slipping, whatever you want to call it. I love all these terms they come up with to make it sound less offensive. Uh, there's always new terminology, but by any other, by, by any other definition or term, you just got fired. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of this happening in news all across the country. And it is obviously having a significant impact specifically on journalists of color. Uh, that's the broad frame that we're in. Tell me, t tell me more and I'll jump from there. Yeah, so I mean, I think the most uh, the the most that we know right now is uh, what's happening at the Los Angeles Times. Um, last week, the Los Angeles Times uh, sent layoff notices to 115 staffers. Um, 94 of those staffers are a part of the union, which means that, or like the Los Angeles Times Guild, which means that based on their contracts, they actually have 30 days from last week's notice period for the guild to sort of negotiate and figure out how they can save jobs with the company. And mm -hmm. so those people have gotten layoff notices. Um, the final number we will know in about mm, three weeks or so. Um, and then, so of those 94 guild members that were laid off about, or at least 63 were journalists of color. Those are numbers that the Guild provided me, and that's based on um, the LA Times Guild has uh, has different caucuses. Yeah. So they have the LA Times Guild Black Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, Asian American Pacific Islander Caucus, um, and then the Manasa Caucus, which is North African, Middle Eastern, and South Asian Caucus, right? Yeah. And so, you know, even those numbers, you know, are not 100%. Uh, we don't know that they're 100% accurate sure. because race is self-reported. Membership uh, to those caucuses is um, 
is, is not mandatory. Mm-hmm. And so you could be a person of color who has been laid off and not a member of the caucus within the guild, right? But we know it's about 60, at least 63 people. Yeah. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, uh, this is not just happening in the LA Times. All these uh, outlets are laying people off, not all of them, but certainly too many of them are. Um, sure. And it, I, I am struck by, I wanted to have you on this program, I am struck by the ways in which, not surprised, but struck by the ways in which people of color are being impacted disproportionately by these layoffs. For those who don't understand why that is, maybe you can give us some insight into that. And I understand, uh, having been in management, I'm in management now for that matter, (laughs) but I I understand when it comes to making decisions like these, they're not easy, they're tough decisions, and one has to figure out where you're going to make the layoffs, where you're going to make the cuts. But it is abundantly clear that, that many of these institutions, including the LA Times, are laying off people of color. Tell me more. So the thing is that, like, we know about these specific numbers at the LA Times, and that's sort of an anomaly. We don't typically know how many people of color get laid off when there are these media layoffs. So, like, Business Insider laid off some staff last week. The music magazine Pitchfork is being folded into GQ. Um, there's all sort of all sorts of examples, but these are often self-reported numbers. It's just sort of something that we see online in our communities of journals of color, things like that, where we hear about it. But because there's not a lot of transparency about, um, you know, companies are not going to tell you that they laid off however many number of, uh, of journals of color. But we also don't know how many journals of color work in newsrooms, um, like. Lots of newsrooms will uh, publish diversity reports every year, but sometimes it's not every year. And sometimes, like, the numbers change, and it's not sort of a requirement in any way, right? It's just, like, a good – it's just, like, um, a good practice. And so it's hard to – it's, like, something that we know as journals of color is something that happens, but it's actually really hard to measure, and we're, like, we're never better off for it as a society. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we just talked about the LA Times, but also Univ- Univision, um, one of the largest Spanish language uh, news outlets and media companies in the U.S., uh, also had like layoffs in the last couple of weeks. They laid off 200 people. Mm. Um, and that's probably across TV, radio, digital, things like that. Right. And like that's a that's just a problem. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's really hard to talk about. Why is it happening to people of color? Because we don't actually know how many people of color it's happening to because of a lack of transparency. Um, but what we do know is that our communities and our and our industry is is never better off for it. Yep, that 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 that, that part, as they say, that part. We're, we're never better off for these layoffs. Um, when we come forward, there are two things I want to uh, get your uh, get your take on. Um, we may not know all the numbers because they're not going to be transparent and reported. Um, you found out um, the detail about L.A. because of the Guild, as you mentioned earlier. So this is a bit of an, uh, an anomaly that we know exactly the number of people of color laid off in Los Angeles at the L.A. Times. Um, but what is the impact of these layoffs? To your point, we're not, we know we're not better off. Uh, but I'm raising this in part because it, it, it's taken so long to get journalists of color routinely in positions where they can do the kind of reporting that needs to be done so that we, people of color, can be seen in in our full light, um, that we can see stories that are written that have texture to them and, and that, that, that stories that, that, that are layered. Um, that's important. Uh, we've had to fight this long just to be covered uh, 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 in the news media uh, in ways that are legitimate. And now 
because of all these layoffs in this industry, uh, we're losing so many journalists of color. What is the long-term impact of people of color not being able to write about people of color? We'll put that question uh, to Hannah, to me, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley, Hannah Tamiz, talking about uh, these layoffs uh, in the news media, uh, in this industry. Uh, layoffs everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, and certainly we are seeing a significant number of people of color being laid off um, at these various places. Uh, the question, uh, Hannah, is what, what, what is the impact? Uh, of people of color not being allowed to cover, to write about people of color? So the, so the thing we have to talk about is there's two things, right? Like, one, when we don't have journalists in communities, um, you know, there's so many, so many different ways that communities get worse and suffer because of the lack of journalism and accountability um, in their areas. And so the Democracy Fund uh, collected a bunch of, of data about this, and they found that, like, regions that don't have journalists experience, uh, like, drops in civic engagement. Uh, voter turnout is often less. Um, businesses in regions, in, in certain regions, are, like, less likely to be held accountable um, uh, for misconduct. All kinds of stuff, right? And you, like, you and I both know when those things happen, who is the most impacted, Right. It's always people of color. It's always people from marginalized communities. And so when you don't have journalists of color and journalists from marginalized communities writing about their communities or publishing about their communities or and or journalists who are writing about these marginalized communities uh, in an accurate and like empathetic way, the the image that news consumers have of those communities also becomes skewed, right? If you only see black people or Hispanic people or Asian people presented in a certain way um, in your news coverage and your news consumption, you're going to internalize that. Right. And that's a problem because you don't because then you then don't get to experience the richness of your community and the society that you live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and also like journalism, like, you know, we say in, in, in journalism that news and journalism is the first draft of history. If the first draft of history that gets published is uh, inaccurate coverage of these communities, when people look back in 50, 100 years, right, like, what are they really learning? What are they getting about? What are they learning? Like, what does that say about the history of the place that they're researching, that they're living in, whatever? Um, And so that becomes a problem, too, because uh, the way that certain people are portrayed doesn't just impact uh, us today, but it impacts our generations to come. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, I'll raise this when we come forward and give you a chance to respond to it, but we have been talking on this program and uh, not just here, but everywhere you look, there are conversations uh, about DE&I being under attack, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We just had a conversation with Mark Morial, head of the Urban League. He raised this issue on this program the other day. Others raised it routinely on this program. We see it. All these promises, all these commitments that were made by major corporations after the murder of George Floyd, most of them lied. Most of them didn't do what they said they were going to do. And now in this moment, there is major retreat on DE&I uh, from those persons who made those commitments, say nothing of the right wing attacks on DE&I. 
uh, that play uh, themselves out in a variety of ways from kicking out the president of Harvard uh, on down the line. All kinds of examples of the ways in which the right now uh, is attacking uh, uh, affirmative action, which they got rid of at the Supreme Court level, and now corrective programs like DE&I. I raise that for the following reason. When we come forward, I want to ask Hannah uh, me about this. Um, how uh, do we have any data that suggests to us um, that we know anything about how these decisions are being made? It's one thing to say, you know, if you if you got seniority, you keep your job. But how do you balance, uh, for example, seniority with diversity in your newsroom or, or balance diversity with any other thing else? Anything else that's important to you about how you run a newsroom? Is diversity a part of the equation? part of the consideration when you're laying all these people off. It sounds like not so much, but we'll take her temperature on that when we come forward in our remaining moments of Hannah Tamiz on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Now, Tamiz is a staff writer for the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard University, where she covers innovation in the news media industry. So who better to go to to talk about the ways in which these massive layoffs uh, around the country, uh, most principally and certainly uh, of late, um, the L.A. Times. She mentioned Pitchfork uh, being uh, woven into GQ all across the country. We are seeing these layoffs in uh, mainstream media and people of color are being impacted by that. The question is, what happens when people of color can't cover people of color? How accurate are these stories? We, we know the backstory to this. Uh, and so uh, Hannah sort of addressed that question a moment ago. She made the point that when, when you lose journalists of color, um, there's evidence, clear evidence, that says that civic engagement is impacted, voter turnout is impacted, business accountability is impacted, a long list of things that we can see pretty clearly that are impacted when you lose journalists of color in newsrooms. How do you measure it? That's the question. So I ask her, uh, I want to ask her now in the three minutes I have left in this conversation about whether we know anything about uh, how, uh, to the extent it is true, that decisions to lay people off um, consider diversity in these spaces. Hannah? The unfortunate answer is no, we don't know how these decisions get made because they, and like, you know, in the case of the LA Times, that those decisions get made between management and sometimes with the guild in their negotiations, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, again, like there's not a whole lot of transparency in the news industry about those things. You know, we can imagine, like you've worked in management, you said, you know, Mm -hmm. you can imagine a lot of it has to do with the bottom line. A lot of it has to probably do with, or like there's some impact in there of like metrics, like what are people, what stories are people consuming, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unfortunate that we don't know, right? Because we, we don't know how those decisions are made that then disproportionately affects journalists of color. But we do see the impact of what happens when we don't have um, like a diverse newsroom covering the diversity of a community or society. Yeah. Now, I wish there were, in fact, greater transparency. Uh, um, but uh, I'll, I'll stick with your line because it's 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 as real as rain. And that is we know that we are not benefited. We know that part that we are not benefited by having fewer journalists of color in newsrooms across this country. Uh, uh, Hannah Tamiz, again, is a staff writer for the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard University, where she covers innovation in the news media industry. Hannah, thanks for your insights. Good to have you on. I'm glad you're there doing the work that you're doing, tracking these numbers. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for reading. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Good to have you on this program. When we come forward in our third and final hour today, 
Um, a conversation with Professor Joy James. She's professor of humanities at Williams College. Um, sharp sister, uh, passionate voice, illuminating the, the complexities of all kinds of issues uh, relative to prison and slavery, abolition, U.S. politics, anti-black racism. She's a star. Um, but I have asked her on this program today specifically to talk about uh, the execution of Kenneth Smith uh, in Alabama. Uh, and uh, he's becoming the first person in this country to ever be gassed to death, as it were, uh, by nitrogen. Uh, it's a, 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 a low point, I think, in our democracy, and we'll talk about it in our third and final hour when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. 